When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Hello and welcome into this post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the I'm Pat Podcast. By the way, Jay, tried the new Doritos 3D tonight, the oh, chili nacho. Yeah. Pretty, pretty darn tasty. I never, had say. The, I never had the 3D Doritos before. I oh, keep man. seeing them. It must have just missed me. They must not have had them when I was in college, like on campus. That must have mm-hmm. been what happened. Yeah, I'm not sure when they exactly were out. I seem to remember them in like the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. I think they were a thing. And they used to be, I think, in like these plastic tubes instead of in bags like they are now. But those are pretty good. I will say the uh, spicy ranch ones, I wouldn't go for them. The odor from the bag, not so great. The taste, pretty much cool ranch with a little bit of a spicy kick. So. If you like Cool Ranch Doritos, I guess go ahead and grab them. But anyway, we have more important stuff to talk about, and I know we've been kind of like delaying the inevitable here. (laughs) The Blackhawks, their season is officially off to a start. They lost 5-1 to to the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. was not exactly the most fun game I've ever watched in my life. There were a lot of things that were not particularly good, so... I guess let's just dive right into it, Jay. What was what were your first impressions of the 2021 Chicago Blackhawks? Well, I think before we get into diving into everything, um, it's important to, to, for a couple qualifiers here. Okay, we've been talking for a long time about what the season's going to look like. It's going to be bad. They're going to lose a lot more games than they win. When they play the best teams in the league, they're going to get beaten pretty badly, and that's what we saw tonight. So. 
that's out of the way. So when we analyze these games, when we when we break these games down, we have to do it with that sort of mindset to it, okay? It'd be really easy to come in after a 5-1 loss and scream and yell and demand everybody be fired and everybody sucks, but that's not constructive and it's not honest, okay? Everyone expected the Blackhawks to lose this game tonight. 5-1, to one, maybe not, but a couple things I want to say too. You have a very new team here. You have a lot of new faces on this team, right? Mitchell is new. Walmart is new. Peary is new. Suter is new. Zadorov is new. Yanmark is new. Uh, you could probably say Andrew Shaw's new because he played so little last season. That's a lot of new faces to take the ice and have never have played before together, aside from practices and scrimmage and, th- and things like that. So I think what I'm trying to say is, yes, the season's going to be ugly, probably not this ugly every night. <laughs> so before you completely jump ship and panic, you were up against a well-oiled machine, a team that played more recently than anybody else, <laughs> that is just stacked with some of the best players in the game, and it got ugly, and it got ugly, uh, not super early, but pretty early. That's, I, I will yeah. also say that the Lightning did not look like they were at full strength tonight. No, and well, and I think the first few weeks of the league are going to look like that, too, where teams Bingo. are start finding their legs and getting their chemistry back and, and those sort of things. But the Hawks did have a very high number of new faces in the lineup, and you knew – that's why when I saw Tampa as the first opponent, you're like, mm, oh, and two, because it's <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough to get started that way. And I'm not look. There's a lot of things that were problematic for me tonight, and we're going to get into them. Um, I do want to start with the positives because I feel like when we have kind of a negative season, um, there's going to be a lot of negatives to get into. So a couple things that stood out to me. First of all, the fourth line was terrific. Uh, they they were the best line the Blackhawks had on the ice. All three of those guys were positive in possession. Um, So good game for them. So props to the fourth line. They played well. They actually generated a little bit of offense, some some shots and some things like that. I thought Pia Suter looked pretty good for his first NHL game. Only nine minutes on the ice, but very noticeable. Uh, Had a breakaway chance, got in a little too tight and couldn't make his move. Um, I thought he looked good. I thought Andrew Shaw was effective. Uh, I thought Walmart had a couple of nice chances. And um, I think Ian Mitchell for his first game didn't do anything flashy, but also um, didn't look uh, like he was drowning, didn't look out of place. He played 16-16 of ice time tonight. That is good for fourth on the team, third among defensemen behind DeHaan and Murphy. Played more than Duncan Keith. Uh, So I thought Ian Mitchell looked good. Now, we'll get your positives and we'll move on to kind of the bad and I think we'll probably be lockstep on some of the bad stuff uh well we're already going to be lockstep on some of the good stuff because mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to shout out the fourth line I mean they got obviously they got the start tonight and you could see right from the word go that that line had a ton of energy they were generating like you said a good number of scoring chances I really do like the way that those guys not only move the puck between each other but they also just have this really good ability it seems like to get an opposing defense kind of off balance and they do take quick shots when they need to which is Mm -hmm. not something that the Blackhawks do a lot of a lot of times we've criticized them for this that they just kind of get pass happy they look for that perfect angle what I like about this line is if they're going to start doing that then they're doing it for a reason because you know the defense hasn't broken down whatever it is they seem to have a really good kind of understanding of when they need to shoot the puck and when they need to pass it and I will 
give them credit for the way that they looked at that tonight. I also did want to shout out Lucas Walmark. You did bring him up. He was especially noticeable in the first period. I thought that he really turned some heads in training camp. I think you and I had kind of noticed that they were giving him some kind of significant roles in a variety of situations in training camp and obviously not having a preseason to see exactly how they were deploying him. We kind of had to play it by ear a little bit, but you saw him obviously play well tonight at even strength. He was on the Blackhawks' second power play unit, which I also have to commend. I thought that they looked pretty solid, especially on that first man advantage situation where they had, I believe it was Peary, Kubalik, and Suter were the forwards, and then they had Keith and Walmark as well out on the ice. I thought that that group was really solid, and I'm really curious to see if Dominic Kubelik stays in that pairing, and I don't want to jump into the negatives just yet, but his name will come up in that. And like you said, Jay, I also was impressed with what I was seeing from uh, P.S. Suter. I was seeing him in a lot of areas tonight, not just like on the breakaway that he obviously had, but he was getting to the front of the net. He was really mixing it up in the middle of the ice. I thought he looked solid defensively. I just I think that there's definitely something there with him, and I definitely thought that it was on display tonight. He may not have gotten on the score sheet, but I'm curious to see how his development goes because it's pretty clear the Blackhawks think they've got something in him, and I think you saw some flashes of it tonight. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned with the power play, um, the second unit, this is something we've sort of, I don't know if recommend is the right word for it, but Sometimes what it seems like doesn't work with the Hawks power play is it is just the infinite search for the perfect play, the infinite search for the wide open yawning net, right? And as the team's talent has gone down, those opportunities become less and less. And look, even when they were really, really stacked, they weren't really able to generate a really successful power play consistently. I think sometimes putting guys who are going to simplify the approach to the power play is a good idea. And I think that unit you pointed out with Peary and Kubelik and Suter uh, and even guys like Walmark and Shaw, um, those guys are going to do the simple things that it takes to put to get a power play goal. You know, move the puck around quickly, get pucks on net, get guys in front. That's how power play goals are scored. Whether you're the 80s Oilers or you're the 2021 Blackhawks, that's how power play goals are scored. And sometimes you got to get the guys out there that are just willing to play that simple game and uh, look, they don't really have a ton of options in terms of elite talent anymore. So maybe just sort of by necessity, that power play is going to look that way a little bit. Do you think that that's something that you would potentially move Kubalik back up to the top line just to kind of capture up there, just kind of a shoot first, ask questions later kind of mentality instead of kind of trying to be a little bit too perfect? Because we saw what happened last season when they moved him up to that top power play unit. It was like a light bulb went off mm-hmm. for that group. And I'm really curious how long – I know he's trying to kind of separate – the talent a little bit and make it to where the second unit isn't like a complete non-entity, I guess, but you got to have at least one working power play unit. So it doesn't really make sense to do something like that to the detriment of that top line. If you ask me. Yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying there. I think more, they might need to do something at even strength because the top line didn't generate anything. And you know, you've got three guys on there. I mean, Patrick Kane, he's never been a big possession driver. Like nope. when, when we go over the numbers after post games, he's usually towards the bottom in possession. He's just so damn good that when he gets the puck, you know, he's going to control it for a while and he's going to get good looks and he's going to make the shots he gets. Right. So, but his possession is never good. And Stroman to are big possession drivers either. 
I think they're going to need to find a way to they're going to have to t- I think long story short they're going to have to separate the Brinkett and Kane that's going to have to happen so it's going to be Kubelik and we're wherever you want to slice it um, I just don't think they can put their top three offensive threats uh, Strom Kane and Debrinkit together I don't know if that if that's a recipe for success I see what you're trying to do but that line did not generate much of anything Patrick Kane did have four shots on goal um, which is fine you know Alex Debrinkit had two Dylan Strom trying to find him on the sheet here had one um, that's just not enough from your top line you know and I think they're gonna have to they're going to have to find a way to sort of distribute that scoring. Maybe when Carl Soderberg comes, uh, when they return home, that will help with that depth a little bit. Look, he's not a top, an ideal top six forward by any means, but he does give them NHL depth a little bit. So I don't know. Again, I don't want to knee-jerk overreact to one tough loss against one of the best teams in hockey. You know, I, I, you know, it's so it's, it's tough to overreact. I know people are pissed, but I'm just trying to say, like, let's just – Let's pump the brakes. It's one game. It got it got it got ugly. It got out of hand, but I don't think it's going to be this bad every night. What I don't like is that a couple of things that we have discussed in the past, and I know that I personally discussed very recently, kind of came to fruition in this game. And I think those are the kind of things that I'm more willing to kind of focus on. I'm not gonna sit here and like you know wring my hands over the way Malcolm Subban played. I mean, like you said, Jay, this is one of the best offenses that he's going to face all season and yeah there was maybe like one goal that I thought was kind of soft just Mm because his rebound control was off tonight but I don't think that the goals necessarily were on him so I'm not going to wring my hands about him I'm not going to wring my hands if Ian Mitchell makes a couple of mistakes which he did tonight but I thought he recovered nicely from him I thought he had a decent game I'm not going to get mad about like little stuff like that what I'm going to point out and what I think we should talk about is the stuff that we discussed previously, like as concerns before the season. And I go right to what you had just said about the Kane-Strom to Brinkett line, where I said, I don't think that that trio works. Like you mentioned, Patrick Kane is obviously not a possession driver. He's never really shown a lot of ability to score with Alex to on the ice. It's something that Jeremy Colleton has tried. It hasn't worked. And I don't understand why they have to keep going back to the well with that. If I were them, and I'm not, but if I was, I would definitely like say get Kubalik up there get him up there maybe with like Kane and Suter say or maybe get him up there with DeBrincat and Strom something to change up that dynamic and I think that's especially going to be possible when Carl Soderberg comes back because I could easily see Patrick Kane making something work with him and I think that that another guy to potentially look at I think as a maybe a center option for Patrick Kane Maybe Lucas Walmark. I think that that could be something that Kane has shown he can work with a wide variety of centers. And I think based on the way that they deployed and used Walmark tonight, maybe that's a combination that they can do. All I'm saying, as soon as we can break up that top line of Strom, Dabrinkit, and Kane, I think the better because I just don't think that the chemistry and the effectiveness is there. Those three were the low three forwards on the Blackhawks in possession tonight to bring a rare instance where the eye test completely meets the statistics test yes so i'll let me i'm gonna have you guess so who was the team worst in possession tonight um i'm going to guess the guy that basically looked like a carbon copy of what he was in the bubble i'm gonna say adam boquist correct adam boquist finished with a 30.77 corsi four percentage that is a minus 18.32 corsi four relative four chances four 
four four shot attempts uh, for the Hawks, nine against with him on the ice. Um, that hesitation is what I'm seeing from him still. That lack of aggression is what I'm seeing from him. And there was all this hype about him getting bigger and stronger and, and being a tougher defender. And again, it's one game. He's got a new partner, all those sort of qualifiers here. But at some point, we've got to start seeing Adam Boquist turn the corner and start looking like the top prospect we all expect him to be. And like the Blackhawks expect him to be, a lot of people around hockey expect him to be. I, and I don't know if it's Jeremy Cowan not deploying him correctly or using him correctly, but the only time to me Boquist looks like a benefit is on the power play. He's got a good shot. He can move the puck pretty well. And they did have him on the well. first unit tonight, I will point out. So I guess a point to Jeremy Colleton for that. And he did pick up an assist on a Dylan Strom goal. Um, but and, and actually, like he kind of kept that play alive. There was a puck at the blue line, and he just sort of shot it in. He kept it simple. Just put the puck on net and see what happens. He did not kept that play alive for the Strom goal. I just need to see more defense from him. He can't be a one-dimensional dude. Uh, we don't need the second coming of Eric Gustafson. We really don't. Uh, it's just I I have really high hopes for Adam Boquist. I really like Adam Boquist. I feel like I have a lot more patience for him than a lot of people do. But I saw tonight a lot of what I saw last year. And like you just said it, man, the same guy he was in the bubble. And that's scary because I think in the bubble is where he looked the worst. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100% correct about that. And I think that. I don't want to pick on Adam Boquist too much. Like you said, I think that we need to kind of sure. keep our criticism to a like certain extent, like kind of dial it back a little bit. I think my biggest critique tonight is I know that Colleton has the system where he likes to rotate his forwards and his defensemen. He talks about it all the time. And yet, repeatedly tonight, you saw completely blown assignments all over the ice. I was going to point out early in the game that the Blackhawks were allowing a lot of pucks to kind of skip by him at the point because they weren't playing the edges of the ice. They were kind of cheating towards the middle. What happens? Calvin DeHaan commits a penalty to prevent a two-on-one because he's cheating toward the middle of the ice. On the first goal that Tampa had, you had Andre Palat, who got wide open in front of the net because Connor Murphy was basically guarding nothing. Like that, the, those types of situations you just look at and you're like, this this cannot happen. You cannot leave a guy like Andre Palat wide open in the middle of the ice. You had it happen again with Adam Boquist basically leaving Braden Point wide open in the middle of the ice later in the game. You had all sorts of instances where the Blackhawks were just completely out of position. They were over-rotating like they did on Stamkos' goal. That... That was like the perfect summation of everything because the defense was just rotating around the ice and getting stretched out, leaving wide open spots. And Stamkos just cruised in right to that left dot like he always does and yep. he rifled that damn thing home. Just it's so often that the Blackhawks just didn't have a body within like 10 feet of the guy scoring the goal. Sorelli's goal where he had that incredible deflection in front of Malcolm Subban. Nobody was covering him like he literally like could have put the puck down to his stick and stood there for probably two or three seconds and no one would have touched him. Those types of rotations are key in Jeremy Colladin's system. And he talks about it all the time. And yet time and again, all we see is miscommunication and missed like missteps and misstrategy, whatever. And you see goals like that happen tonight. And against a team like Tampa Bay, they're going to kill you every single time. Well, the other issue too, James is there's not a lot of speed on this team. There's just not, like, who's the fastest skater on the Blackhawks? Is it probably still Duncan Keith? 
That's Pro- not good if it is. Right. And and like Patrick Kane is quick, but he's not fast, right? He's not going to blow past you. He's not going to blow by you. He's going to outmaneuver you. He's going to sneak in there. He's going to find his spots. Debrinkit is speedy, but he's not like breakaway fast. But the defense, the defenseman, I mean, Boquist is quick, but the rest of your decor is pretty slow aside from him and Keith. So DeHaan's going to be flat-footed. Murphy's going to be flat. Like you're, the system doesn't match the personnel, and that's that's part of the problem. Is you want these guys to follow guys all over the ice and rotate. They can't keep up. This team cannot keep up with the players they're supposed to defend, and that to me is a coaching issue, right? You can have personnel that's slow a foot and big or whatever. That's fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. But you've got to put them in a system that's going to that's going to work for them. And you don't have I mean, dude, even if you look at their prospects, you're looking at aside from Boquist, Mitchell isn't a speedster. Wyatt Kelnick's not a speedster. Regula isn't a speedster. Uh Bodan isn't a like all these guys are not like fast, speedy defensemen. Which is kind of ironic because that was something that Stan Bowman had kept harping on around like the 2017 draft is that he wanted to get faster and more athletic. And that's why they drafted Henry Yokoharu. What happened to all of that? I don't know. I mean, even Doc isn't fast. He's big and he's strong, but he's not fast. Nylander is skilled offensively, but he's not like they just don't have very fast skaters in a league that is getting faster and faster all the time. So Mm -hmm. that to me is, that's something to keep an eye on is how is the system going to evolve with the personnel you have? And there's really nothing I've seen from Cowton, you know, over his tenure here um, that indicates to me he's going to change very much. It's just, he's just kind of hell bent on playing the system. And it's, it's wild. A couple other criticisms I have of, of Cowton, Andrew Shaw, I mentioned earlier, had a nice game. He's not the trigger man I want in the slot on the power play. <laughs> yeah. He's not. That I mean, come on. But like, who else can play that role? Like that's Kubelik, not to like defend Suter. Uh, you think Su- okay, Suter the okay, I do have to maybe disagree with you on Suter. He was getting to the front of the net a lot on the power play. I wonder if that's where you're gonna need him instead of out in the slot. Maybe. I just it's not Andrew Shaw. He doesn't have a hard shot. He doesn't have a quick shot. He doesn't have a, an overly accurate shot. That's not the guy I want to be my trigger man in the middle of the ice. It just doesn't make sense. And that's why we're sort of saying maybe it's time to break up the big three, right? And try to get one of those guys in that spot. I don't know, man. I just Can know I say something unpopular? Sure. Maybe it's Brandon Peary. Isn't that the whole reason he's on the damn roster anyway? To be a goal scorer? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a quick shot. Like, why not try him? He was on the second uh, power play unit tonight. Why not move him and Kubalik up to that first line and then have Andrew Shaw, like, maybe go to the second? I'm open for anything. I just – Andrew Shaw there makes very little sense to me. Yeah, his, his spot sense. is in front of the net. That right. is where, if you're going to deploy Andrew Shaw on the power play, that is where he has to be. Yeah, uh, one other play I want to point out, too. Zadorov with a horrible pinch. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Trying to make something happen. I get it. He thought he could sort of bully his way through the defender and get the puck. Uh, It was a forward, but through the lightning player and get the puck into the zone and didn't. And then a three-on-one went the other way. And had Tampa not been up so big, they probably wouldn't have gotten as cute with it. Uh, They didn't score. 
Um, we, we hit on Subban a little bit too, and I, I wanted to mention him. Um, that second goal, bad. You can't lose track of the puck that poorly. Uh, he had no idea that that puck was behind him. Mm-hmm. Those things are going to happen. What I'm I'm don't like about his game is that Subban reminds me of what well, doesn't remind me he is he relies more on athleticism and reaction than he does on positioning and coming off watching Corey Crawford for the last decade plus that's very jarring because Corey is square to the shooter pucks get absorbed it's very rare that Corey is gonna have to dive and make a, a paddle save amazing save by the way by Subban with the paddle that was insane it was sweet but you never really had to see Corey Crawford do that because he was p- constantly in the correct position. I'm seeing a lot of reaction-type saves from Subban, and positioning is what matters in the NHL. Yeah, having quick reaction is great, but if you're not square to the shooter and if you're not in the right place, chances are you're not going to be able to catch a 100-mile-an-hour wrist shot right. very often. So that, to me, concerns me about his style. Well, what I didn't like about it is, like, literally from the jump tonight, they were talking about how Malcolm Subban had been working on his rebound control and what was, like, the primary reason that a couple of goals got scored because, like you said, could not absorb the shots, could not direct them into low-danger areas. He kept, like, directing the puck right back to lightning players. And I know, again, first game in, it's he's not been, like, a full-time starter very often in his NHL career. Like, I get all of that, but then you start to wonder, is there a reason he hasn't been? Because that rebound control tonight, if he can't improve on that immediately, you have to see what you have in Colin Delia and Kevin Lankin, and you cannot wait around to find out if that's going to be the real Malcolm Subban. Like you said, just kicking the puck everywhere but to the right places. Like, he just... You have to be able to direct the puck better than he did. We talked about it constantly with Corey Crawford. Like you had mentioned, that was one of his strengths. It's so frustrating because I know it's the first game, but man, like you bring that up as something that you were working on all off season. And then you come out and you have a performance like that. It's not great. It's not a great look. No. And it's not a great way to start the season losing five, one to the Tampa Bay lightning. That was a tough one. Um, but look, there's uh, 55 more to go. And I think, you know, when we look back on the season, this will be one we definitely remember. And hopefully uh, the arrows pointed up from here on out, because this was a very, very tough way to start the season. And I say that in, you know, in a couple different ways. It was a tough opponent. It was a tough situation with so many new faces. It's tough with so many injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of built in excuses there. But the things like you said, James, we got to keep an eye on is the deployment of the players, the the deployment of the system, uh, those sort of coaching decisions, and the development of the young guys. And um, there was a kind of a mixed bag as far as those things go tonight. All right, before we wrap up, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com, the best hot chicken in town, West Town, Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Prospect Heights, coming soon to Tinley Park. Go to FryTheCoop.com, place your order, head to their pickup window. It is safe, it is easy. You're in and out, and you are devouring some of the best Nashville hot chicken you've ever had. So come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. Go to frythecoop.com and peruse your menu. You'll be very, very happy you did. With that, we're going to tie a bow on this, the very first of our 2021 Madhouse Podcast postgame shows. For my partner, James DeVoe, my name is Jay Zawoski. We'll talk to you next time on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. 
The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.